Welcome to Be Her Talk, an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of hip-hop, a side of Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday, we discuss race, politics, and culture, and we do that from an unapologetic perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave comments on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and we will read them throughout this show. My name is Selena Hill, and I'm the founder of Be Heard Talk and the digital editor at Black Enterprise. And I'm super excited to be here with you all to discuss the one-year commemoration of Breonna Taylor's murder. Um, justice has still not been served in this case, and we have a lot to unpack. But before we get to that, later on in the show, we'll also be unpacking some of the news stories of the week. Um, some of the things from Andrew Cuomo to, unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about Salt Bay, but I really do also want to talk about what's going on with Salt Bay and how he's been feeding everybody on the outrage. So maybe we'll get to that as well. Um, but let's actually kick things off by introducing my co-hosts, commentators, guest hosts, whatever you want to call them, to the show, starting with Stanley Fritz. Hey, Selena, long time no see. Right. It's been, what, a few weeks? Stanley yeah, is back. Most of you know him as one of the architects of the Be Her Talk brand. He is also a New York City political lobbyist. Now he has freed up most of his Sundays. Stanley, tell us what you do and what you have been doing on Sundays now. Well, before I answer that, let me first give you props for your Claire Huxtable starter pack right here. Looking like a young Huxtable. I see you out there, Selena. Um, I've been sleeping and writing. <laughs> So um, if you guys have not yet, please follow me on Medium at Stan Fritz or subscribe to my email list, which is substack.com slash sucker for love. And I'll make sure that we have our team share it on the screen with you guys so you guys can support my writing and help me be a struggling writer who has more than six and a half viewers. Um, but I'm happy to be back here, and I miss you guys. Oh, we miss you too. So also we want to welcome to the show today a special guest host, Jamil Cruz, an award-winning marketing entrepreneur and community leader. He is also the owner of Cruise Control Media and the Cruise Control Podcast Network, an MBE certified digital and multimedia communications agency based in Buffalo, New York. He also serves as the Eastern Region Vice President for the National Urban League Young Professionals. Welcome to the show, Jamil. Thank you so much, Polina. Uh, I'm so excited to be here today. I'm so I've been a fan of the show for so long, and the fact that I'm here today it's just so exciting. Uh, Stanley, I'm a big fan of his and all of the work that he's doing, uh, just outside of in the political spectrum, and also with the show and everything. So I'm just excited to be here today, just to add my voice to just a lot of the things that's been going on um, in in our in our culture. Well, you know who else is excited? Many of the people leaving comments. Shout out to Beverly. Um, Copying, who just says justice. Yes, we will be talking about justice for Breonna Taylor. Kimberly Davis also wrote that justice for Breonna Taylor. Um, love Travis, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing, mispronouncing your names, says, I love y'all. They also say make family band and organization. Make a change family organization 2021. Join my organization. Definitely. Let's check that out. Um, 
check that out after the show, guys. And make sure you leave a link to that organization because it sounds great. So thank you for checking in and letting us know what you have going on. So without further ado, we're actually going to kick things off with the news roundup. So I'll throw it to you, Jamil. Uh, thanks so much, Selena. So before we dig into the impact and legacy of Breonna Taylor on on the, later on in the show, um, we're going to talk about some of the biggest trending news stories of the week, um, from the rise and fall of Governor Cuomo to Meghan Markle's explosive interview last Sunday with Oprah. Um, I want to start with the news that top Democratic leaders, including Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and freshman representative Jamal Bowman are calling for New York's Governor Cuomo to resign in the wake of sexual harassment allegations and his handling of COVID-19 deaths at state nursing homes. Um, they argued that the allegations charged against Cuomo have been, um, impeded his ability to effectively govern and serve the people of New York. Um, these charges come after the state, uh, state attorney general report revealed that Cuomo's administration underreported the number of COVID deaths among long-term care patients by approximately 50%, and then delayed sharing that potentially damaging information with state lawmakers. Um, in addition, Cuomo also faces accusations from multiple women of sexual harassment or inappropriate behavior. Um, the scandal began last month after former aide Lindsay Boylan alleged that Cuomo kissed her on the lips uh, uh, against her will in 2018. Um, in response, Cuomo offered an apology uh, to the women and said that he never knew that he was making anyone feel uncomfortable. Um, he also denied touching anyone inappropriately. Um, so, and furthermore, he has vigorously resisted calls for his resignation and brushed them off as um, political maneuvers by his rivals, saying that he wasn't elected by politicians, he was elected by the people. So, Stanley, I want to go to you first. I think I know how you feel about this, but should we wait for an investigation before calling for the governor to step down? An hour after the expose article by Eric Schneiderman came out, the governor had a press statement saying that Eric Schneiderman should resign. That was just one article. We've got seven women. We've got 50,000 people dead in the state, plus an additional 10,000 elderly people who died because they put COVID-infected patients in nursing homes. We've got threats to an elected official. Now we're finding out that they've been hiding information about the Mario Cuomo bridge, and apparently the beams are not stable. This yeah. man's gotta go. And he won't go because for those of you who are involved in New York state politics, you will know that the governor is not only an alleged sexual harasser, he is also a confirmed sociopath. So the more you push him to resign, the harder he'll dig in. But it's either he's impeached or he's not elected in 2022. Either way, he don't need to be here no more. So, uh, Stanley, just stand with you for a second. Uh, Cuomo, he, he he alluded to that the allegations being charged against him were just political retaliation. Do you think that the allegations are politically motivated? No, no, not at all. I believe the women. There's six women. What like, what does Lindsey Boylan have to get with tanking Governor Cuomo? She's running for Manhattan Borough President. Most of those people in that borough who she tried to get their votes, they like Cuomo. Additionally, Lindsey Boylan came out about this actually several months ago, and the Cuomo administration leaked her personal file. That's why she stopped. So no, I don't think these women are lying. I don't think it's politically motivated. Now, are there people who, are, who have political motivations for Cuomo to resign? Absolutely. Republicans hate any Democrat, no matter who it is. So they're going to try and embarrass him so that maybe they can get some power back in the state. They won't. 
Does he have political rivals? Absolutely. But the governor has political rivals because he is possibly one of the cruelest governors we've ever had. He has no friends. He only has people that he dominates or bullies. And now more folks are seeing him weaker, so they're standing up to him. So is that some motivation from people who would like to see him fall from grace? Absolutely. But you know what? You can only keep on pushing people so long before you start to push back. A lot of folks are pushing back. Um, Ron Kim wasn't the only one to get those kind of angry, threatening calls. And now all those people who've been threatened by Cuomo, bullied by Cuomo, jobs blocked by Cuomo, they're coming for him. Right. Uh, we have comments that are just coming in right now. So uh, Marlon Martin, he said that it's, it's all BS. Uh, he has not been so vocal about what was going on in his state during the onset of the pandemic. Um, none of this would be happening. Um, that's interesting to me how the wolves have come out. This has a very, very, very interesting point, Marlon. It's, it's not interesting at all, actually. The governor has actually did a pretty bad job with the state, but because he's on TV all the time, people think he did a good job. He's not. The governor is self-destructive. As we had all these people piling up in hospitals dying of COVID, he cut health care on purpose. And then when the federal government was going to give a stimulus money the first time, he got Nidia Lari to put in a provision in the bill that even if they gave us money, he didn't have to put it towards health care. And then when everyone was saying we got to shut the state down, he kept it open for two more weeks because he didn't want Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, to be right. So when de Blasio said we have to do a shutdown, the, the governor said, no, that's dumb. We can't do that. And then two weeks later, he did a pause. You know what those two weeks cost us? About 13,000 lives. Mm. So, Celine, let me let me go to you real quick. Uh, Cuomo, um, he has said that he supports women speaking up to share their truth and experiences, uh, but that the women making these sexual allegations um, against him should not be believed. Is that being somewhat hypocritical? Hypocritical? Absolutely. Of course, that's complete hypocrisy. Like if you heard the statement he made during his press conference last week, those are literally his words. And he's been reiterating them over and over. He says women should be supported. Women should speak up. But these women, nah, like that's what he's saying. And I mean, I guess there's no other spin his publicist and PR team could really come up with at this point because the valid the, the allegations are valid. Um, a number of women, you know, have come out, as Stanley said, is at least six different women, and they don't have anything to gain um, by, by saying this and speaking up. And, you know, I, I will say this because Governor Cuomo, he was also purported as a, a champion for women's rights and an advocate because he did pass a lot of legislation to, you know, on behalf of women to create a work culture that was healthy and conducive for women to thrive. It just so happens that within his own office, he was doing the harassing. So as ironic as it sounds, I feel like this is really typical to what women have to go through when you have bosses and men who are saying things to the public, but behind the scenes, they're acting completely different. And that's actually not true, Selena. He, he didn't pass those bills. He was blocking them. He, he was but didn't he sign it into law? Go ahead, Stanley. Please clarify. Yeah, he, he had to sign it into law because the Senate and the Assembly voted for it. But he was blocking those bills, and he was using his relationship with Republicans to block those bills from coming to vote. The only reason the Women's Reproductive Health Act bill passed in New York State was because we were able to get a Democratic majority in 2018. But we had to do that while the governor was secretly funneling money to Republicans so they can keep the majority in the New York State Senate. All those things that he likes to spike the football on, 
wouldn't do it. He was even blocking the black woman, Andrew Stewart Cousins, from becoming majority leader so that his friend, Jeff Klein, another person who's been accused of sexual harassment, could be the majority leader. So let me let me go back to, up to your point that you just made, Selena, um, because as, as you said, and, and, and Stanley, I'm, thank you for clarifying, um, but Cuomo has been consistently seen as this champion of women's rights and such. So, Selena, let me go back to you. Do you think that um, what well, let me ask you this. What effect do you think the governor's um, alleged behavior will have on future uh, of the, on the future of sexual harassment rules, enforcement of those rules and workplace culture altogether? Um, I think that it exposes the hypocrisy of it and that it just shows that no matter what a leader does, what really matters is what's going on behind the scenes. And we've seen that even with the Black Lives Matter movement, right, where all these companies were posting black squares and posting and, and using the hashtag Black Lives Matter all throughout 2020. But meanwhile, internally, how many uh, we saw how many employees speaking up and saying that, you know, this the culture, what's really going on is not conducive for black lives. So again, it's one thing to talk the talk, but we really need to walk the walk yeah. at this point. And yeah. like, I know Stanley and I, especially Stanley can talk about Governor Cuomo all day, but I do think we should keep it moving and keep it pushing. All right, absolutely. So uh, this one last thing I just wanna ask about that, Stanley, do you think, what are the chances that you think that he will actually get impeached? Uh, at this point, 40-60. I don't think the Assembly will bring up impeachment proceedings. The The Speaker of the New York State Assembly has been really tepid. All the, like Even when we found out that the governor, the governor's office hid 10,000 deaths of seniors, the Speaker has been tepid. So honestly, I don't see them stepping up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, another comment um, from Marlon Martin again, he said, thank you. He showed himself to be a leader, a leader of our country and needed the leader um, and needed the leader. We clearly uh, we clearly didn't have. I just don't buy it. Allegations um, aren't always true. But this is what happens when people stand up for the right uh, for right. Um, someone is just out there waiting to tear you down. Uh, why is why is this just coming out? Uh, we have seen this time and time again. When are we going to wake up? That's a really, really good point, Marlon. So, so thank you for that. What? Hold on, now, Marlon, oh, appreciate God. the fodder, but look, we gotta believe women. I don't understand what the hard thing about it. Again, it, it doesn't even it doesn't help anyone. People aren't just looking to tear people down. Like I don't, I, I just the facts don't support your argument at all. Mm. Yeah. Stanley, did you have a quick comment before we move on? People have been complaining about the governor for years, literally years. They had an entire hearing about his treatment of female staffers when he was running the department of HUD. This is not new. This is just the first time that anything has stuck. They've been, they call him the Teflon Don. His best friend went to prison for a corruption charge that if you ask anybody who's following that case, they'll tell you it was Cuomo and his man took the fall for him. And then Cuomo got on camera and said that man deserves to be in jail. Like, come on, like, I, listen, we keep defending all these trash men, which is why they keep on being disrespectful and harmful towards women, because they know no matter how bad they get, somebody will say that it's a conspiracy against them. No, Cuomo was not trying to buy NBC. He's just a creep. That's a good point. It's a very good point, Stanley. So let's move on from um, from Governor Cuomo, because we could talk about this all day. So uh, one of the other big stories of the week was when President Biden signed the one point nine 
trillion dollar coronavirus stimulus package into law, um, cementing the first major legislative victory of his presidency. Uh, the sweeping bill includes around the $1,400 stimulus checks, enhanced un unemployment benefits, money for schools and childcare centers, housing assistance, and support for vaccination programs worldwide. I'm sorry, nationwide. Um, it also expands existing tax credits that will put more money into the pockets of workers uh, and people with children. However, a provision to raise the federal minimum wage was abandoned after a group of state Democrats declined to back a rule change that would have allowed it to pass with a simple majority vote and avoid a GOP filibuster. So Stanley, what are your thoughts on the bill? Uh, do you think that it goes far enough to protect vulnerable Americans? No, of course not. But if you want to just like grade the bill on its merit, this, this stimulus package is a phenomenal piece of legislation. Put the the, the, the the stimulus checks we're all going to get, or most of us are going to get aside, right? Families with children will now be getting $300 a month per child starting next month until the end of the year. $300 extra. If your child is six years old or younger, you get $3,600 over the course of a year instead of $3,000. But on top of that, if you lost your job and you had gotten COBRA, which is the health insurance policy most people get when they're not working, and you had to pay those premiums? No, the government is going to cover all those premiums for the next two years. Your unemployment, non-tax for the first $10,000. You got Obamacare, they're raising the amount of money they put to cover for your premiums. They also put something in there that said that if they do student loan forgiveness, there won't be a tax penalty for people. And they raise taxes on a rich by $60 billion. And those are just some of the basic pieces of this bill. This bill is projected to reduce childhood poverty by a third. Like, we're reducing childhood poverty by a third. This is fantastic. It also shows you we can eliminate poverty if we wanted to. Selena, what do you think? What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, no, I mean, to Stanley's point, it's definitely a step in the right direction and a huge difference with what we were going through the last four years under Trump. Um, and I think that it definitely positions Democrats in a good light. Um, if we think about it, because they'll be able to take credit for ending the pandemic through the vaccine, if it does end, also um, revitalizing the economy um, and also like putting money, putting more money back into Americans' hands to help stimulate it, especially those who you know need it the most. So I think it's a really strong win. It's a really strong look for uh, Democrats. I'm partly surprised like i don't know why republicans did it like none supported the bill and i think that just the optics will look really bad on republicans moving forward yeah and, and that's that's really that's a good point that you made because not a single not a single republican not in the in the senate or in the house of representatives voted for this bill that says a lot i mean and, and that shows that they are so just so hell-bent on just being obstructionist and no matter what democrats it could be something that can completely benefit you know their own constituents because democrats put it forward they just want to completely just go against it so that's just so unfortunate but selena you had mentioned something about the democrats and uh stanley i want to ask you um, do you think the voters will reward democrats um for their stimulus bill uh i don't know it's too early to tell mm -hmm. um midterm elections are still a year and a half away but right now, 75% of people in this country support the stimulus package. And I think once Money Bad Joe gets some stimulus into people's accounts, a lot it's going to go a lot higher. So um, we'll see. Yeah. 
And uh, and like you said, the, the the midterms, we still have a little ways to go about a good year and a half before that happens. And oftentimes, you know, people can uh, with this being so ha happening so early in, in his administration right now, people, you know, tend to, to forget about some of these things. So, um, Selena, I want to ask you, do you think that this will help Democrats win and secure seats in that midterm election that's coming up? Um, possibly. I actually wanted to go to Marlon Martin's comment via Facebook. He says exactly obstructionist. That's not right either, but it's what we see and deal with. So, you know, I agree to that point, <laughs> not the earlier ones, Marlon, but, um, I will say like, yeah, I do think that it could definitely benefit, um, Democrats moving forward. Awesome. So let's move on. We have one of the biggest stories of the week um, was this explosive Meghan Markle interview that she did, uh, her and Prince Harry um, had with Oprah Winfrey um, that's still being talked about uh, around the world. Um, while many people have empathized with racist treatment um, that Meghan has gone through, others are criticizing her. Um, Pierce Morgan infamously accused um, the former royal of lying about being suicidal um, during her interview with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, during an episode of Good Morning Britain. Um, Morgan later stormed off the show on Tuesday after a fellow presenter, who happens to be a black man, um, confronted him over his remarks. Uh, Morgan left the show later that day. Um, following Morgan's exit, Sharon Osbourne tweeted, Pierce Morgan, I am with you. I stand by you. Uh, people forget that you're paid for your opinion and that you're just speaking your truth. Um, Sharon also had an outburst on the talk uh, when Cheryl Underwood called her out for supporting uh, Pierce Morgan. Uh, let's, let's go to that clip. Don't try and cry, because if anyone should be crying, it should be me. This is the situation. Yeah. You tell me where you have heard him say, educate me, tell me when you have heard him say racist things. Hmm. All righty. So, Selena, what is going back to this story of, uh, with uh, about Piers Morgan and Cheryl Osbourne and just the whole this royal racism that we're seeing right now? What does this tell you about white fragility? Oh, it's, it, it says a lot. It definitely says a lot. I know Tony Blash left a comment via LinkedIn. He says, Pierce Morgan never said anything about Harry. What about that? But and I just feel like a lot of people like Tony and other sentiment, they keep defending Pierce Morgan. It was the undertones for me. You know, the fact that he's, we, we have Meghan Markle speaking out about the fact that they were saying her child is going to be too dark. They did not give her any protection as a royal. They didn't even give her a title, a clear, distinct difference between what happened with Kate and Prince William when they had their children. So, I, I mean, as a black person, as a black woman in this country, that is racism. And that's and I think that for many white folks, um, Sharon Osborne, Pierce, I, I don't know if it's just that they've been looking through the eyes of their privilege and just never took off those rose colored glasses to try to relate or empathize with people of color and the oppression that we've been going through, or if they're choosing ignorance at this point. Either way, whatever the reasoning is behind it, the fact that they're having breakdowns like Sharon Osborne was yelling and berating Cheryl Underwood at one point. And Cheryl was very calm and composed and was like, do you think that, you know, you know, Pierce Morgan's being accused of racism. You're supporting him. That's literally how she, you know, brought it up. And Sharon was like, you're trying to call me a racist and started crying. And 
and refused to let like Cheryl cry. She was like, don't you even start crying. If anyone's crying, it's me. No, Sharon, you're not the victim here. Like, and it's just, it's just really, really frustrating to see this type of reaction in 2021. It, it's in, and, and it's so telling of the times that we live in right now where we see this happening over and over again, where people, particularly white people are, they just want to be victims so bad. They just, they, they just want to just play this, this victim role so bad as if they are the ones that's being oppressed, you know, and, it, and it's, it's just, it's just sickening. And I, and personally, I think Piers Morgan, he's a clown because, you know, there were, there was talks that Megan actually, uh, he tried to actually holler at Megan and she dubbed him back in the day. So that's probably why he's really pissed off at her. But Stanley, I want to get <laughs> your thoughts on this as well. Yeah, no problem. I mean, who cares about white nonsense? So I'm going to wash their legs. I don't like, who cares? I'm not here to explain anything to any white person. Read a book. Sharon Osbourne crying all over the screen. Meanwhile, Megan's living her best life with her black son and her white alabaster bay who left his dusty family who we all knew were racist before this to live their own best lives. Who cares? All white people are racist. Some of them are racist and savages. And I guess we know what the royal family lands in that spectrum. Stanley, can you clarify what you mean by that? All oh, white people are racist. So apparently a no, couple- No, all of white people are racist. Oh, okay, well. Oh, Selena, you're always trying to help me give context to these things. I just want white people to be mad in their feelings. But the simple concept is white supremacy is everywhere. It is pretty much the socialization of this entire country and much of Western civilization. And as a person who was white, who grows up being told like very externally and subliminally that you are superior to other people, you are racist whether you mean to be or not. Does it mean you're a bad person? No. Does it mean you don't wash your legs? Maybe. But it does mean that you are complicit and you have to do the work to be anti-racist, which is not a natural instinct from most white people because the world is racist. Having said that, some white people hear this and they go, I need, I have work to do and I'm gonna work on it. Other white people hear this and they start getting mad. They put down their unseasoned chicken and they go on TV and cry and gaslight. And that's what Dusty Megan Osborne did and Piers Morgan, who's also a racist. Yeah, um, let's go to uh, Pam, Pam Matthews. Um, she left a comment on LinkedIn, which she said, race is indeed, don't try and play the victim. And again, this is something that we see so often. We've been seeing it more and more, especially over the last year and a half where, you know, there have been um, just cause for, for people to, uh, just to change this racist behavior and things like that. And again, it's like people want to make it seem as if like they are the ones that's being oppressed, which is just absolute nonsense. Exactly. Uh, this is absolute nonsense. So, um, so one of the last stories um, from the news. Well, well, real, real quick, Jamil, Marlon okay. left a comment. If we could just, Marlon says, this guy said all white people are racist. Wow. Well, we have a bunch of blacks who are racist too. I'm laughing because by definition, black people can't be racist. Right. Exactly. Racism is oppression meets power. Black people have never had power, especially not here in America. We don't have the power to oppress. Therefore, we are not racist. Could we have implicit bias? Absolutely. Could we have prejudice? Absolutely. But education and verbiage really matters here. So that's what we mean. And Stanley just gave a great explanation on white supremacy and how it's been embedded in the fabric of this country and how it's affected every single white person because they benefit from white privilege. So maybe Stanley, can you suggest a book or some resources that folks can read so they can better understand what we're saying right now? 
Well, Marlon, the first thing I'll suggest you to do is maybe take a shower and lotion your elbows and your ankles so you can stop being so lashy. That's if you are a black person, because I don't know too many Negroes who would call black people blacks. If you were in fact white, get off my stream. But if you are a white person, you would like to do some work and understand how race works, I would recommend two books. The first one is Stamp by Ibrahim Kendi, and the second one is Cast by Isabel. And it talks about the history of racism and white supremacy and how it is a caste system. And that most of the, the Western civilization has taken up their ideas about white supremacy from American racism. So check out those two books and also use lotion or stop making believe you're black. And then understand, and just go back to Selena's point, you have to understand what racism truly, truly is. It's this system of advantage and privilege based on race. And if, as Selena said, if we are, as black people, we are not in the position of, of power or advantage, so we cannot inherently be racist, you know? So, uh, so just understand, like really understand what racism truly is. Um, and then, you know, you probably need to rethink what, you know, um, what you just said, Marlon. So, um, but moving forward, uh, the weekend he's boycotting this year's um, and future Grammys after being snubbed by the Academy Award for his album After Hours. The, the pop megastar says that he will no longer submit songs for one of the music industry's most illustrious annual awards after it did not nominate him for a single accolade um, for his highly successful album After Hours. He also tweeted that the Grammys remain corrupt. You owe me, my fans and the industry transparency. So I just want to get your thoughts on this, um, Stanley and Selena. Selena, first, you, uh, what, what are your thoughts about this? I just, I agree with The weekend, but I'm just not here for the selective outrage. Like, all of these celebrities, they have nothing to say when they're winning and being validated by white-dominated institutions. As soon as they get snubbed and the institution reminds them that, oh, you black, then it's a problem. Like, I get it, let's boycott, but where were you before? Like, you know, like the weekend put out one of the greatest albums um, in the past year. Yes, he deserves sure. it. But if he, my question is, what if you were nominated? Would you still be taking this stance or not? And last thing, it was Childish Gambino who refused. I think he won one of the biggest awards at the Grammys last year and he just refused to stand up. That to me is taking a real stance. Stanley, what about you? What are your thoughts, man? Where was this energy when Beyonce got snubbed two years in a row? Where was this energy when Macklemore beat Kendrick Lamar for the best album? Macklemore. I don't care. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again to your point, Selena, this selective outrage is just like, you got to miss me with that, you know, because this is something that we see every year over and over and over again. People. Uh, crying and complaining about that they didn't get recognized by these predominantly white institutions. One of the things that, that really bothers me, though, is that we have other institutions in place, other award shows that really celebrate our culture. And if we can get more behind those and kind of help uplift those, we don't need those institutions. We are the ones that's driving the culture. We are the ones that's like really making like the Grammys and all of these other predominantly white institutions really pop. So the fact that, you know, we don't really get behind the things that we that we already have that we can help build those things up as well that it, it's telling from a lot of these artists agreed so so lastly before we wrap up the news uh, roundup and talk about the fight for justice for brianna taylor one year later um, we're also commemorating the one-year anniversary since the world was struck by COVID. uh how have you adjusted to the new norm 
So we want to get you guys' um, your, your thoughts on how you guys have been adjusting to the new norm. I can tell you, like, I'm actually down here in New York City for the weekend. And, you know, I'm in my hotel room right around the corner from Times Square. And I just posted something about this the other day uh, when I was here uh, on Friday. This is that New York City is just not the same because it's just like it's just completely I mean, the people like it's just it just seems like empty almost, you know, so so I think there's still some adjusting that's taking place right now. Um, however, um, I think that we are getting to a place where we are going to start to see some sense of normalcy um, over the next several months. So that is something that I'm uh, super excited about. So um, so go ahead, Selena. Um, no, I agree. Um, I'm still adjusting, mm. but. It's sad. Like at one at one hand, it's like, oh, you know, I'm reminded every day, like this was not life a year, a year ago, a year and a half ago. But in the one hand, it's like, okay, this is the new normal. And I think that one of the greatest things about humanity is our ability to evolve um, in certain aspects. Now, when it comes to racism and sexism, but other ways we have evolved as a people. Um, so we've been making the best of it. We hear it be heard. We used to be, we actually used to record this show live from WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And now we're doing everything streaming. Right. And, you know, we have like phenomenons like versus and clubhouse that really emerged and, um, thrive during this pandemic. So we've been finding ways to cope. I'll say that that's the silver lining for me. Stanley, you got any, any thoughts on that? And uh, this time last year, I was thinking to myself, it'll only be two weeks. And then you wake up one day and it's June and you realize we're not going anywhere anytime soon. So um, last year was a crazy year, but you know what? Like Selena said, there's been so many, like we lost a lot of lives. It showed us just how unprepared this federal government is to take care of people. We got plenty of money for war. We got everybody you could think of but we didn't have a plan for when people needed access to affordable health care or when they just didn't feel good and needed some time off from work without losing their jobs because most people in this country don't even have basic paid time off, so they can't take sick days. Um, but now it's March 14, 2021. I got my first vaccine shot on Tuesday. Spring is breaking now, and I'm feeling optimistic. And, you know, if people keep moving the way they do, like with Salt Bay, this summer is going to be different. It's going to be oh. a summer for everybody. Why are you trashing Salt Bay? First of all, that woman was hungry, and Salt Bay was just doing his thing. And everybody who had a problem with it is insecure. All he did was okay. put it in her mouth, and she enjoyed it. It's fine. I'm saying. I'm so, saying. <laughs> we're going to try to get to Salt Bay in a little if, if we have time. But I want to go to one of the comments from LinkedIn from Pam. Um, she said that I've adjusted to the new norm. Um, I'll be wearing a mask for the rest of my life, cold and flu. Wow. Okay. Yeah, me too. I hear that. I yeah, abs yeah awesome. absolutely. Not in all spaces, but like on the train, like for sure. When I'm on a train, definitely gonna keep wearing a face. It's not a big deal. Like you put on one face mask, you get used to it. And like public spaces like that, absolutely. And I'm not a big party person, so I don't need to for that. But I'm gonna do it because yeah. I didn't get flu this year. I didn't get a cold this year. Like I didn't get any, like even like some of the simpler viruses, I didn't get it this year because I had the face mask. Right. Well, we appreciate all of the comments from everyone for the news roundup. And that actually concludes the news roundup. So I'm going to hand it back off to Selena to lead our main segment about Breonna Taylor. Selena. Thank you. And great job, Jamil. That was such a fun conversation. Now to something 
a little more serious than Salt Bay, at the least. It was one year ago when 26-year-old Brianna Taylor was fatally shot after Louisville Metro police officers broke down her door to execute a no-knock warrant at the apartment where she and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, were living in Louisville, Kentucky. The EMT worker and Walker were both sleeping in bed when the plainclothes officers ambushed their home. Walker, a licensed gun holder, thought someone was breaking in and called police and then, uh, then actually let off a warning shot, which hit one of the officers in the leg. The officers returned with dozens of bullets that struck and killed Brianna Taylor. Walker, however, was initially charged with attempted murder of a police officer during the raid, even though he fired in self-defense. And that charge was just recently dropped last week. The officers contended that Taylor's ex-boyfriend was shipping drugs to the address, but no drugs were found during their search. To this day, none of the officers involved in the raid have been charged within Breonna Taylor's death. In fact, in September, the city of Louisville announced a $12 million settlement in the wrongful death lawsuit filed by Taylor's family, which also included police reforms. For example, the city has banned no-knock warrants. But many advocates believe justice has not been served since Kentucky Eternal uh, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron announced no charges directly tied to Breonna Taylor's death. Today, Breonna Taylor's name has become synonymous with a call for change in policing, systemic racism, and to protect Black women. So for the remainder of the show, we'll discuss what needs to be done to ensure that there is justice and accountability for the tragic and unjustified police killing of Breonna Taylor. Stanley, I want to start with you. What are your thoughts on Breonna Taylor and her passing one year later? You know, I still can't believe it's been a year since the police murdered Breonna Taylor. And I think one of the biggest things that we can do to honor her, um, the life that she lived, and make sure that like we're not supporting any kind of violence against Black people, is to continue this work that we're doing to not hold police accountable, but to deconstruct this entire idea about policing and deconstruct our ideas about safety. Because as long as folks think that police create safety, we're gonna keep on empowering them. And as we're seeing every day, they don't create safety. They create chaos and murder. So for those of you listening who may not agree with police reform or criminal justice reform, I want you to ask yourself, what does safety look like? And for you, does that safety include a cop? That's what I got for it. I mean, good point, Stanley, but for many folks, it they would say it includes police officers, not everyone has been lining themselves with the defund the police movement, mostly because they don't understand it. What but there are some older folks who are calling for, and I'm playing devil's advocate here just to get no. you to further explain. Um, you know, older folks do call for more safety through policing. Yeah, but like when I say safety, like when you think about being safe and what feels safe, you're not thinking about an armed person walking around your neighborhood. You're not thinking about people like a big floodlight, like in Brownsville where I grew up at, they had floodlights all over the place. And just walking home from school, somebody would stop me and search me for drugs all the time. I didn't feel safe. I felt surveilled. To me, safety feels like being somewhere with like people that I love and care about, having fun, not worrying about finances, not worrying about the weather. Everything is just good. The police are not involved in that. So we got to ask ourselves a question of what gets us to the thing that actually feels safe. Because we got all these cops out here and people are still getting killed. There was a crime spike all over the country this summer. And it wasn't uh, like we weren't poor on cops. We had lots of cops. 
So obviously something's wrong here. Yeah, good point. Thank you for further explaining that. Jamil, I want to get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on Breonna Taylor now that it's been a year since she was murdered? Absolutely. And I, I want to kind of go back to a point that um, Stanley just made about, you know, just what reimagining what safety looks like in our communities. Um, I saw uh, an article recently um, and it talked about some of the, the safest cities in, in America. And, you know, in some of those cities, uh, one of those cities being um, in, in Irvine, California. And when you go to the city, you, you'll be hard pressed to find, you know, police presence um, in these particular cities. You know, like when you see like when I say hard press, I mean, you know, you might see someone, um, you know, a police car um, at a grocery store or something like that. But they're not patrolling the neighborhoods. Um, but you have to think about you have to think about why, because they have the, the things, the resources, the things in place um, to combat against a lot of the ills that, that, that's in their communities. Um, for example, with this so-called war on drugs that, that took place, um, we know that that was just by design and that was just to, uh, you know, to attack brown and communities of color, black communities of color. Um, but we see that white people are just excuse me, white people, they are disproportionately, they use drugs at the, at the, at the same rate and even in more cases than, than, um, than people of color, but they are given the treatment and everything that they need. So when the police go into uh, Breonna Taylor's home claim, claiming that this is a, a drug raid and end up killing this, um, murdering this woman, you know, this is just something again that I feel that is, that's truly by design um, to really terrorize black and, uh, and communities of color. So um, while, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat hesitant to think that these changes are, are you know, we're going to see like these massive changes happening in our communities and such. Um, but I, I am encouraged by the work that's being done by like groups like Until Freedom who are in the, you know, in these cities right now, still fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor, um, we just need, we need that energy. We need to keep that energy going. Right. Um, absolutely. Yeah, because like these, these folks are absolutely, um, you know, they're, they're doing the work that needs to be done in order to make the real systemic change that we need to see, you know, so, so we really encourage that. So anti one Matt Manson left a comment via LinkedIn that I think pretty much sums up what Jamil and Stanley are saying. Policing is safety for white folks and extreme chaos for people of color and it's always been like that we know that policing is actually rooted in slavery when the slave mat after um black people were freed from slavery then they use slavery um policing to further keep us oppressed that being said and speaking of oppression um you know when it comes to brianna taylor you know this case what really blows my mind is that justice has not been served um but it's also something that's not that surprising. Stanley, why hasn't justice been served in Breonna Taylor's murder case? Because it's a bootlicking Uncle Tom who's a district attorney in Kentucky. That's why. It's as simple as that. People don't people wonder what impacts elections have. Well, in this case, because folks aren't engaged enough in the elections out there, a sellout bootlicking Uncle Tom with a shaky hairline and a love for white women became district attorney. And he did what any other bootlicking Uncle Tom would do. He protected white people. But besides this person being a bootlicking Uncle Tom who deserves no respect in the black community and whose white family will call his black child the N-word the first chance they get, we need to also think about the fact that we put 
too much power in the hands of police, district attorneys, and the entire criminal industrial complex. And as long as they have as much power as they do, they can always skirt accountability, even when they have a smoking gun. But since that's a larger fight to have, let's focus first on this bootlicking sellout Uncle Tom who doesn't deserve to be called black and needs a new barber ASAP. He does need a lineup. Um, Jamil, I definitely want to get your comments on Daniel Cameron. Why do you think he sided with police when there was clear evidence that an injustice was done? For every reason that Stanley just mentioned. That's exactly why. You know, um, he is he is one of those folks that unfortunately, like when, they, when we say that all skin folk ain't kin folk, he is the prime example of that, you know, because he'll do everything in his power to, you know, to coddle to, you know, to his, to his real oppressors, you know, just so he can get some form of that he, whatever form of like power or influence that he feels like that he can get, you know, he will do anything to, uh, to coddle to his oppressors. So um, it's, it's, it's so unfortunate. It, it really, really is unfortunate when you have someone who that you think looks like us, who's of our culture is really not really of the culture. Right. So um, I'm hoping that there can be a replacement um, of some sort, you know, or some type of special investigation that where he's not included in the decision making process there. Uh, but, you know, again, for every reason that Stanley just mentioned, you know, this is that's exactly why, you know, we haven't seen real justice for Breonna Taylor yet. Yes. And, you know, Michelle Payne actually left a comment via LinkedIn saying the laws are not changing. Um, however, some things actually have changed. I mentioned earlier that the city passed a no-knock warrant. However, that needs to be statewide, if not federally. Um, I wanna actually talk about some of the changes that have taken place since Breonna Taylor was murdered and George Floyd. Stanley, what changes and progress have we seen on a local or national level? Well, in New York, we finally passed the STAT Act, which forces officers to hold stats on how many people they arrest and how many shootings they had in the city and the state. We also, I forgot the name of the bill, but we passed a bill that finally made police misconduct files available. The, the police in New York City have been suing to block that information for the last six months or so, and they lost the final lawsuit last week. And now if you go, if you go online, you can find the misconduct files of police officers, um, of over 80,000 police officers, over 40 years of misconduct files. For example, there was a cop who had sex with someone without a condom and not consensually they found out he lost one vacation day and was promoted. There was another cop who shot an unarmed black person, lied about it, they found out about it, and then he got a gold star. These are the kind of folks, so you wanna talk about police accountability? Now we see that there's no accountability at all because these people are doing egregious things, but nothing's happening. Absolutely, and thank you for those examples. Jamil, what changes are you seeing when it comes to police reform? Unfortunately, I, I haven't. I'm not seeing uh, enough good uh, enough good change yet, you know. Uh, but I think again, it's going to take the you know the work of people being on the ground, using their voices, their influence to really advocate for these changes. Uh, while I'm encouraged by you know some of those things that Stanley just mentioned, you know, we we need like a real deconstruction of of policing and reimagining of what safety really looks like. And you know, a lot of people are just they're, they're not for that, you know? So, you know, unfortunately right now, I'm not seeing the, the changes enough in order for, for us to, real, to see real systemic change. Um, but I am encouraged by 
um, the work that's that's continued to be done. And as so long as we continue to do that and use our voices, our influence, I think that we we start we will start to see some change. So Sierra Norise says via LinkedIn, no knock warrants need to be enacted nationally. Absolutely. We stand with you. And to Jamil's point, yes, a not enough change is being done. Um, but I do want to just circle back to the point about, again, Brianna being a black woman, because I feel like as many deaths and, and rallying calls that we've seen, particularly in the past 10 years, or at least when since Trayvon Martin was murdered, it's always a lot about men, um, you know, with the exclusion of Sandra Bland. But we just don't always see the same no more, not the same justice for black women or even the same energy around it. And I wanted to talk about that, Stanley, as you know, someone who started your career as a community organizer, why is it so hard for black women to get justice? Well, I mean, when we talk about racism and how all black people are racist, we've grown up in a society and structure that centers men being the smartest, the most important, the strongest and the most capable and women only being the people who have children and who clean up the house and take care of that stuff. We don't value women as a country, as a society. And patriarchy and sexism are still huge problems. And this is one of the ways it shows up where a woman's death or a woman's harm can be deprioritized and it's okay because Lisa wasn't a man. So I think it's up to us, particularly men, to do the work to decolonize our minds and understand the fact that women don't just deserve equity. They they deserve the ability to be human and have humanity and for us to see their humanity in them. Because Breonna Taylor is not the only black woman who dies. She's a black woman who was murdered by the police. What about the black women who are murdered by other black men? We've got to do something about that. Absolutely. And Michael R. Hassler says via LinkedIn, simply put, misogyny. This is definitely a case of misogyny. And thank you for chiming in, Michael. And also, it's Clara, not Sierra. Thank you for correcting me. I don't have my glasses on, sis, so I couldn't see that well. But um, Jamil, I want to get your thoughts as well. Why don't Black women get the justice that we deserve? Because I think historically, Black women have always been looked at as less than. You know, you look at the uh, the our societal totem pole and you know black women have always been you know regarded as the bottom being at the bottom of that totem pole um and which is which is unfortunate you know when you know we we see cases like this happening so so often and not just here locally but across the world i remember some years ago when when the young ladies um in nigeria when all of those um, women were kidnapped and such and i just didn't i didn't feel like it got the attention that it necessarily uh that it necessarily deserved so we, we need to do a better job of, of really believing women and really protecting black women. Um, it's, 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 it's going to take some, it's going to take some, some courage from, from men, um, from men being, uh, just kind of getting out of their own ways and such, um, and to really start to, to put women first and particularly black women. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we, we are able to see that over, you know, over, over the course of time, but, you know, this from a historical standpoint, this is something that's always kind of plagued our community. Absolutely. So I do want to just, uh, and great points there. I agree with everything. I just want to say, I echo everything you guys said. I do want to switch gears a little bit because Kenneth Walker, who was Brown and Taylor's boyfriend, he just filed a federal lawsuit against Louisville Metro Police and the officers involved in the shooting, accusing them of violating his constitutional rights under the Fourth Amendment, which prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. Stanley, what are the chances that Kenneth Walt Walker will have some type of justice and actually win his suit? 
I don't know. It honestly is a toss-up. I think that you're talking about a Biden administration and the, and the Biden Department of Justice who is going to be motivated to look like they're on the side of black folks. So you never know. But the fact of the matter is the justice system is still one that is upheld by the criminal industrial complex and by white supremacy. So those same systems might just uphold anyway. Okay. And, you know, Jamil, not only has Kenneth filed a lawsuit, but Tamika Palmer, Brianna Taylor's mother, also filed a lawsuit um, against other officers just from the Louisville Metro Police Department in itself. Um, she was saying that people who were involved with the case and who's supposed to be investigating also sided with police and that there's evidence there. We also know that there's no body camera footage of police when they went in. You just saw like the footage of Kenneth Walker walking out. And I'm like, then you turn your cameras on. So there was a lot of funny play. Um, so she filed a lawsuit as well. Do you think either Tamika Palmer or Kenneth Walker will see any type of justice? I hope I truly hope that they do. I hope they can they'll sue the city and the police department for every dime that they can squeeze out of them. Um, and that that will never bring back their um, bring back Breonna Taylor. I don't care what amount of money um, they, they they are able to get from this. It will never justify the fact that uh, that they won't they won't see their loved one again. But, you know, if, if there is a way for them to to get some type of justice from this and, and that means monetarily, then I'm all for them getting every single dime that they can get um, out of out of the city and out of um, the police department and, and all, all the officers that were involved um, in this tragic uh, murder of Rihanna Taylor. Mark overall says via Facebook with the charges recently being dismissed against Mr. Walker, he stands a good chance at a civil recovery from the city. We'll continue to pay attention and see how these lawsuits play out. But, you know, this actually comes on um, the time we were starting a trial in the George Floyd case. I mean, it's not lost on everyone, the timing of it. Right. So we're seeing Derek Chauvin is. Um, He's being indicted. Well, he's been indicted and he's on trial for killing George Floyd. Do you think we'll get justice there, Stanley? No, no. I mean, do you have any faith in the system? I do not. I, I, I was really, and I know I struggled to answer that question for a second it's because, like, I want to say maybe, but no, I really don't. We've seen this song and dance a lot. We just had the police officers who covered a man's face with mental health issues and had a boot in his back and then he died with Daniel Prude. We had that on video. The cops just got off. Like, they're not being charged of anything. We've seen this time and time again. I don't think that Derek Chauvin is going to get charged for anything. I think the police will go out of their way to protect one of their own. Um, I think someone will get charged for it. It'll probably be that black officer who, who didn't do anything but watched. Because whenever a situation happens like this, a white officer doesn't get off. But when it's a black officer or an officer of color, like the Somali officer in Minnesota who shot that black woman, or the Asian cop who shot the black man in pink houses in New York City, they'll find some charges. Jamil, are you also pretty pessimistic or realist or being realistic about these cases and especially uh Devik Chauvin? How do you feel? I'm not holding my breath at all. I'm not, you know, I it's unfortunately it's just like as, as Stanley said, it's the same song and dance. We've seen this play play out over and over and over and over again. And it gets to a point and it's just like, at what point will you just want to hold someone accountable? Someone, you know, if you got to make an example out of someone, if we're talking about real reform and, and reimagining safety, like part of that includes like holding uh, corrupt cops and murderous cops 
accountable for their actions. And the fact that they time and time and time again, we've seen it over and over and over again, where people are not getting the justice um, these families are not getting the justice they deserve. Um, it's, it's, it feels deflating. It can be very deflating. So uh, I'm not holding my breath about if it happens. Uh, great. That, that'll be amazing. But I'm simply I'm not just I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and think that, you know, that this is something that's just going to be uh, this radical change is going to happen. And we're, we're going to see some justice um, uh, for George Floyd. So I'm not holding my breath about it at all. So trans trans. I, of hold on, Trana. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing your name. I'm so sorry. Tranaka. Tranaka. Yes, Tranaka says no faith in the system. I think we believe here. And uh, Flavius Maximus Flavius. says Flavius Flavius Maximus says the movement has been hyper focused on the black male and the fear associated with us. It hasn't left much room for justice for brown folks, trans folks black women, et cetera. Our groups don't have intersectional strategy. We fight against one another. Flavius Stanley, I see you shaking your head. Did you want to respond to that quickly? There's really nothing to say. He knocked it out the park. And unless you're having an intersection, an intersectional approach towards your work, you're not being successful. By the way, we got to speak up about this violence against Asian people. I know you guys talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, you guys should definitely, definitely check out the podcast episode of that. But well, we need to stand with our um our AAPI sisters and brothers as well. Thank you for that. So we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But Jamil, what is next in the movement for police reform and the fight for Black Lives? Well, again, I think that we're going to uh, continue to support and even ourselves. You know, us adding our voices, our influence. I think you know, using platforms like this to kind of speak out against all of these injustices and such. Um, this is going to be necessary for us to really see that systemic change that we really want to see. Um, but again, also making sure that we are lending our support, you know, for those folks who are on the ground, like those the organizations like Until Freedom um, and, and so many different organizations that's on the ground right now. We have to continue to lend our support uh, and really back these organizations, whether it's through our time, our talent, our resources, um, just to make sure that we can really start to see that systemic change. But but also, too. You know, I really feel like that we need to make sure that we are holding this new administration accountable. Uh, one of the things that we all know to be true is that black people are responsible for putting um, Joe Biden in the White House. So, you know, we we have to have our set of demands. We have to go to them and we have to make sure that we are holding them accountable to the things that we want to see change in our community. So I think when we start to do those things and, and really hold their feet to the fire, we might just we might be able to start seeing some some real systemic change. Stanley, where do you stand? What are your final thoughts on pushing for change, particularly under the Biden administration? Listen, as, as exhausted as I am about this entire situation, and the harassment that black people consistently get. This is not a race, it is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you know, we gotta keep on chugging along. I think that we got Biden in office. We're not excited that Biden is in office because he's a progressive, he's gonna do what we want. He's not, and he won't. But he is someone we can organize and we can move on the issues because even if he doesn't agree on everything, he is willing to negotiate because he is a politician. That's not what we have with Trump. With Trump, we had a white supremacist leading a white supremacist army. So as long as you have somebody willing to be moved and willing to listen, there is an opportunity for change. So we need to push for it and fight for that change every step of the way and not listen. Not everybody does it through organizing. 
Not everyone does it through politics. Not everyone does it through legislation. But every contribution is important, and we got to keep going. Thank you so much for that, Stanley and Jamil. And I'll just wrap up by saying, you know, the murder of Breonna Taylor ignited a movement. It may have started in Louisville, but it was heard around the world. And it rallied many of us to push for the change. Like Stanley said, like this whole process has been exhausting, but we came together, we mobilized, we organized, we started, you know, passing changes when it comes to defunding the police. We've seen changes here in New York City, as well as in California. We've seen, a, you know, a different things, different laws being changed. However, there's still so much more work that needs to be done. And it's going to be up to us. Take a breath, take a breather. But we got to get back in these streets. We have to continue to petition. We have to continue to call our legislators. We have to continue to remain civically engaged because when we take a seat back, all the oppressor does is they continue to move and they use that energy to, to fuel um, white supremacy and other systemic issues that are only hurting our communities. So let's continue to fight. I also wanna just say that Brianna's, I, I talked about this earlier, it's called Brianna's Law. Um, they are pushing, advocates on the ground are pushing to pass Brianna's Law, which would enact a no-knock warrant across the state. We need to make sure that this is happening. We could tweet up, we can't go to Louisville, all of us, but we can make sure we're tweeting about it and we can make sure we're calling our folks, our family, if we know them in Kentucky, to make sure that they're doing the work to get this passed in Brianna Taylor's name. The time is now. On that note, I wanna thank everyone who chimed in today to be her talk. Please support us on Buy Me A Coffee. If you go to buymeacoffee.com slash be her talk, and share a small donation with us. Your support actually goes a long way. It gives us the fuel to continue to support the issues and the causes that you care about. I also wanted to thank Jamil Cruz for coming on the show today and doing a great job. We appreciate you. And we'll see you again next Sunday. Take care, everybody. Bye.